Police Corp. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Twenty Wigger and slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to the Great Scott, the... Oh my god, I always added the... Welcome to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me, as always, is my deskmate, Jacob. How's it going, everybody? Uh, We are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcast Network. Visit XYZ for all of our other awesome shows. And huge what up to our sponsor, Tiny Build, who makes great games. Mm Mm-hmm. What's up, man? Uh, not much. Uh, it's starting to cool off here in Western PA, which is exciting. Got to wear a hoodie for a little bit today, so it was nice. Yeah, I was wearing one just up until I ran up to the uh, the mic here. Nice. But it, so I'm sure I'm gonna have to put one on <laughs> mid-show. Yeah. Other than that, you know, pretty sure I broke my foot, so that's nice. <laughs> Ooh, fancy. <laughs> <clears throat> what do you got going on? You got a bubble wrap or <laughs> No, nothing like that. At least I thought about it though, but yeah, you know, whatever. All right, all right. What'd you do? Uh, well, I, I uh we have a punching bag that we work out with a lot and mm. I think I caught it wrong. I think I caught it wrong with a kick and because I've my foot's been hurting for like a month now. Like I can walk on it and stuff, but it, mm. it hurts pretty bad. I see. Okay, well, that's reasonable then. <laughs> All right, so we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about The Office. Yeah, you. So we are starting off with Season 3, Episode 3, The Coup, which was written by Paul Lieberstein and directed by Greg Daniels. So two two heavyweights of The Office world doing things. Yep. Um... I just gotta say, I was really excited to participate in this week's um, batch of episodes. I mean, I think walking away from the whole show, season three is gonna probably be my my favorite season. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I, I'm happy to watch all these episodes again for the show. Yeah, and, and the coup is part of it. Yeah, and this um, this sec this set of episodes, it's. They're not as funny as a lot of episodes, but they're big time for plot and story development. I mean, this really gets the majority of season three going down the tracks. Yeah. I mean, I think that's maybe why I like this season so much, because it's got probably some of the best balance. Well, no. I mean, the show always does a good job of balancing like the jokes and the plot. I think it's just season three. I like what the plot did. You know, it's in later seasons that the plot itself is what I don't like about the show. But I still like the characters and why, you know, it's easy to come back. Right. And one reason, I I think by season three, you know, characters are developed, they're ready to go. You know, we we, we kind of know what they're going to do in some respects. And we, we have this relationship with them at this point. So it's more about what's going on with the characters and the characters developing themselves. So... Just, I don't know. That's what yep. I think. So, the coup opens up. It's not really a cold open, but it's Movie Monday. 
which mm. started out as uh, training videos, then a medical video, and then half-hour installments of a movie every Monday. And right now, they're on Varsity Blues, which is very not work-appropriate. I mean, there's language and titties and stuff. <laughs> not things you should be watching at work. Um. Yeah, well, it's funny, too, because they only watch it in half-hour installments, they said. Right. Um, which means, like, it takes weeks to <laughs> watch that movie. It'd be about a month. You know, average movie's yeah. about two hours, so it'd be about a month. Um, definitely not, like, a feel-good flick to watch amongst <laughs> your office day, you know. <coughs> but then Jane comes in. And everybody is in there watching the movie except for Angela. Because Angela does not like Movie Monday, which is a big catalyst in this entire episode. Yeah. And you can kind of start to tell that Jan is just getting more and more fed up with Michael. Like, she's dressed him down in his office. Like, do I need to hire somebody to babysit you and all this right. stuff? And yeah it's it's a it's a interesting dynamic I, and part of me wonders like is it so much about um is jan pissed off at michael because michael chose somebody else is it because of his work performance both more one than the other yeah i gotta say like the growth of their relationship is kind of confusing to me sometimes because um because Jan is so, like, hot and cold. And then, um, obviously, Casino Night was kind of a, um, you know, she was kind of given in a bit, you know? Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll see what happens. And then Michael kind of does what he does with Carol. Um, yeah, and then, like you said, Jan's kind of mean for the most part until, like, a, a specific episode in this season where she kind of just, again, pulls another 180 and is back into, like, hey, I'll give you a chance, Michael. Um, so it's kind of weird because the show is told from Michael's perspective. We don't really know what her train of thought is. Right. We so I never, yeah. That we never see, there's, there's never any, you know, exposition about what, what she's been doing. You know, right. This if whole she's time. been going on other dates or, you know, she says she has a therapist, but like, so what does she talk about in those therapy sessions? Well, I mean, if she's anything like Jan in later seasons is, you know she's, you know, trolling for some young ass somewhere. That's true. <laughs> you take me by the hand. Right. <laughs> she's almost a pedophile. Almost. But classy. Right. Um, okay, so, yeah, so that happens. Michael gets kind of scolded a bit um i do like his rationale though that they get more work done after the movie because they have to work faster to make up for the time that they've lost right and my question is why don't they why aren't they doing this just over lunch like it would seem that's like a good point like an lunch... optional lunch opportunity kind yeah of yeah we're gonna do it over lunch you know have your lunch in here whatever yeah. that seems like the way to do it i will say uh my girlfriend's place of employment does like a movie friday like once a year um and they'll play a full movie and people can like bring in their laptops to continue their work or whatever so this year they watch mrs doubtfire and um it's not bad because they can still work while they watch the movie you know right because um, it's all a big wi-fi connected office and everybody's got work laptops and all that jazz so it's very cool or whatever but and obviously the office only has these big desktop things but then you wonder maybe they set up the projector 
in the main office space, you know, and everybody can kind of like listen to it in the background. But that being said, we're giving too much credit to Michael. Michael doesn't do things based <laughs> on what he thinks will work. He does things because he wants to do things. Uh, right. And so, as we said, Angela is the one who doesn't like it. And she's like, you know, Michael's going to get us all fired. They're going to close a branch because of him. And mm-hmm. Dwight, this is when you start seeing Dwight want to be manager and it's her pushing and it's Angela's pushing him. It's like, you should be manager. You should take over and all this stuff. And that's like the first time where you see that Dwight kind of shifts into wanting to be manager. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause up until this point, he's like always wanted more power, but like always being Michael's number two. Right. Um, right. And like you said, in this episode, Angela kind of points out that, like, Michael's never going higher. So Dwight has to take steps to progress his own career. Otherwise, he'll always be Mm -hmm. an assistant regional manager. This is, you know, that interaction there is really big because it sets up a lot of the rest of the season, you know, because there's more stuff. This is what – this sets up the whole thing with uh, him quitting – you know, mm-hmm. and traveling salesmen, and you know, then we have the return later this season. You know, that sets up those couple of episodes. It sets up a lot of the early Andy Dwight, you know, fighting. Right. Um, and it, well, and it also sets up stuff about how like he didn't uh, like it. So, like when this all gets settled down the return it seems like Michael's willing to accept him as a friend and not just as Dwight you know the mm. crazy guy he works with but as a, you know a real person right yeah I mean that too they kind of um, go in and out in terms of like what their friendship means to each other I mean Dwight obviously has higher regard for it overall mm-hmm. um, but um no, you're you're totally spot on, and this is like a pretty pivotal plot point that will always come up moving forward when Dwight makes some type of move, because everybody will remember the time he did this thing. Right, and later on we see him actually like doing in traveling salesman. We see him doing Michael's laundry. Right, Michael right, throws him a big thing of laundry. Um, let's see. So, so that's going on, and Dwight makes this call to um, Jan, which mm-hmm. is a pretty humorous call where he reveals that he knows a little too much about her favorite wardrobe choices. Well, what's hilarious is you, you almost get the sense that Michael told him to learn mm. all this stuff about her because he says it's part of my job. Right. And she's like, it is officially not. And he's like, noted. Like, there's right, no, yeah. like, he honestly thought it was part of his job to be doing this. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough with Dwight, though, because Michael totally would put him up to that. Like, you know, he makes him hunt down Oscar on a sick day. Right. Mm-hmm. But similarly, Dwight also has this mentality that he's like the office security person before he even gets that fake fake promotion, you know. Um, so I think Dwight also just gives himself a lot of responsibilities, you know. Yeah, but I don't think. This really feels like a Michael thing to me. It really feels like something Michael told him to do. Mm. I just think um, later on in this season during uh, branch closing, you know, Dwight has all that info on David Wallace, 
it's not a lot at first, you know, address, cell phone number, whatever. Um, but as he's like digging through garbage and stuff, I feel like that's kind of what Dwight does. You know, he kind of like, he just feels like he needs to know a lot about people for like his own safety. Um, so if Michael did put him up to it, it's totally like Dwight's like, yeah, easy. I was going to do that anyways. You know, <laughs> and we have this fun B storyline with Jim in um, Stanford mm-hmm. and it's Call of Duty. Which yeah. is one of the funnier bits from the whole Stanford stuff. Yeah, because he's like, why, why? He doesn't know what's going on. Like, I, I have a hard time believing that he would be that bad at video games, to be honest. But maybe he's like a console guy and doesn't do PC. Yeah, yeah. I was watch- When I was watching this episode, I was thinking that too. Like, I don't really understand what Jim's into. He likes sports. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a guitar. And, um, like, he likes bikes. Yeah, like, he likes to bike a little bit. I mean, he's not great at it, obviously, but he does like to do it. And, um, you know, he knows a little bit about rudimentary superhero knowledge. You know, where's Aquaman from? Right. That kind of thing. Uh, yeah, but so, like, in terms of video games, it seems a little weird considering he's supposed to be kind of like this 25 year old guy, like, who's never played a video game before. Well, like I said, I mean, I know, like, I've always, almost always exclusively played on PC, mm. and I cannot play shooters on consoles to save my life. So it might be one of those things where, like, getting, and my wife's the reverse. Like, she can't, the whole WASD thing, she, like, just doesn't jive in her head, and she really can't play shooters right. with a keyboard. So it might be some of that. Or he just, you know, isn't really a gamer. He just rather, like, watch TV and, like, be outside and stuff yep nope totally could be it's true and so this Um, is where you start to see a bit of the budding of the karen jim romance a little bit and we'll get to it but there's a pretty pretty nice little moment at the end of the episode between them two yeah um so this b storyline though offers a lot of other great moments uh throughout these only you know this is more only in episode three of the season and um we've already seen andy's temper mm-hmm. um but it has like a nice little bit here where he starts uh saying that he will in real life kill jim because of his <laughs> sniping and carrying approach to playing the game um josh the regional manager of uh Stanford uh, is also playing and is also disappointed in Jim's lack of Call of Duty skills. So that's also kind of great to see that um, not only does that branch do well enough, but Michael gets in trouble for watching this movie for 30 minutes once a week. Who knows how often they play Call of Duty in Stanford and they're not going to get in trouble, you know? Right. Um, Because that's how well they do. It doesn't really matter if they slack off for half an hour, an hour every day because they're doing the sales that they need to do. But Michael is kind of like, not keeping up his end of the bargain, you know? Right. It, uh, and, yeah, uh, Pan, Jan doesn't mind Michael, and she spends way more time in screen, so she sees what's going on. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't remember exactly why this happens, but is this, is this the same episode where Pam decides to get new clothes? 
is this a fashion show at lunch? Let's see. Um, yes. Okay. Yep. So she is back talking to Kelly and showing off her new stuff. And I noticed something that on the wall above Kelly's desk is something that says ending quarterly statement. So uh-huh. I'm guessing it's sales for these people. And so Ryan, or we'll, we'll go from the bottom to the top. So Dwight is listed at 205000 Stanley at 177000 Phyllis at 178000 and Ryan at $51.50. $51. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which kind of contradicts the, uh, he's never made a sale, because he's, he's definitely figured out some kind of revenue, but he really hasn't, you know. Yeah. He, he, continues his ineptitude of being a salesperson you know because like what and this is kind of a tangent i suppose like what does ryan end up doing ultimately near the end of the show right because he he'll end up moving up into corporate Mm -hmm. and he'll do that until he gets fired and arrested (laughs) uh and then he comes back as a salesperson for the michael scott paper company right right is that right that's the next time we see him Yes. Or is that too far away? Um, Maybe that's too far. That's like season five. He, Oh, and season four is when... Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. No, no. He comes back because he gets out of prison and he goes back to the temp agency and Michael gets him to cover reception for mm. Pam while she's in New York, I think. Yeah. And then... Uh, I mean, he then he goes just... to Thailand, right. and then we see him again in Michael Scott Paper Company. Gotcha. I mean, but like, so when he comes back, aside from being a rep at Michael Scott Paper Company, he's just a temp doing what odds and ends, I guess, around the office. I guess it's hard, really hard to tell what he actually does. Yeah, I mean, because essentially Andy becomes the worst sales rep in the Scranton office moving forward until he becomes a manager, also, mm-hmm. and. Um, so then, like, what is Ryan doing as a temp that makes him not seem as terrible as Andy seems when he's being as terrible at sales as he is, you know? Um, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, he's obviously developing, like, woof in a closet. So maybe he just shows up to work, punches in, and then does whatever his thing is because Michael likes him. You know, you know that's probably a lot. There's a that's lot of that in there. Yeah. All right. All right. I was just curious. Okay, uh, moving on. Yeah, so uh, Pam does get a new shirt. Yes. I don't know if it's a whole outfit. She only shows off the shirt, really. And it's supposed to be revealing. I haven't noticed it. I mean, I don't know, maybe because... Maybe it's lower cut than what she normally wears. Yeah, but there's, like, no no cleavage. Yeah. You know? But then, like, I mean, Creed maybe... comes over and, like, just starts staring down her shirt. Yeah, maybe it's his angle that allowed him to see something that we all couldn't see. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> to me, it seems like a pretty modest top anyways. But, yeah, it's a little more low cut than usual. Um, but she closes it and doesn't want to wear it at work anymore or what have you. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so that's a good bit. And Kelly's pretty great. Yeah. Whole- <laughs> and so we we have this conversation at the diner. Yeah. And Dwight, like, these people bring, like, four plates of food. And Dwight's like, it's right here. You know, it's all right here for me. He's got, like, uh-huh. pancakes and waffles. And I actually wrote this down. Like, it kind of feels like 
I took a little bit of this with for some inspiration for Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec because mm. that's kind of how he would eat and do stuff. Yeah. So, and like I watched it like a couple times in the past two weeks, but Dwight like he looks down like three times, once to make sure that his initial syrup pouring is on point, and then he does it all without looking. And then another time to like make sure his fork is in the waffles before he starts cutting. And then one more when he's about to put it in his mouth. But the whole time he's just talking to Jan and he's saying like, give me the branch, you know, I'll cut waste, whatever. Ferociously cutting these pancakes or waffles without looking. And then when he goes to take his first bite, whatever he grabbed is still attached to the main pancake or waffle and totally misses his mouth. But, um, he doesn't break character, which is great. He just goes in, gets that mouthful, and then, um, yeah, it's just a really, like, nice, steady bit. Mm-hmm. And one thing, because we sort of see the progression of Dwight becoming more and more manager-like. Mm. So this is the first time we've seen him sort of as manager or trying to become manager, and he's terrible. You know, he yeah. doesn't care about it because Jane asks, like, wow, you're turning on your coworkers. Like, I don't care about the coworkers. Right. We can go go into it a little bit more later. But every time this comes up, he becomes better. Like, every mm-hmm. time he is sort of the manager, he becomes better, a better person until finally he's actually ready to do it. Right. Which is something we kind of talk about how I think Dwight has the most complete uh, story arc, most complete transformation in the show. I mean, he goes from, like, terrible douchebag to actually a pretty nice guy by the end. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, too, is just, like, he doesn't start off with the people skills required to do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, like, all that growth, you know, interacting and the ups and downs and, like, lets him be a little bit more humane and understanding to be a manager right but he but he also you know starts getting connected to people which is something you know he hasn't really done yet right um so immediately jane calls michael um says this is what's happening you gotta get in control of your shit um and michael tries to turn the tables in a really classic Michael Dwight scene where Dwight is offered an M&M. He eats it. Um, he is accused of maybe being able to eat hard candy a little too soon. Because it's too uh, fast dragon glue. <clears throat> thank goodness for that. Um, <laughs> and his new dentist name is Crentist, which may be why he became a dentist. Just easier for his patients. <laughs> I love that. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and then there's this whole bit where Michael kind of goes on a ruse and says that Jan called and is demoting him and promoting Dwight up, uh, kind of crafty of Michael to see what Dwight's reaction is. Well, the thing is like you, when you see it happen, it's immediate, right? Right. Like he like immediately, like Dwight immediately starts being a jerk. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he starts calling him Mike. You know, he's like, I'll, I'll dictate when this meeting is. Hmm. Um, you know, and the reveal to the office, everybody's kind of like surprised. And Stanley has this great bit where like, why Dwight? Because he never lies, says Michael. And Stanley says, uh, 
and that's all it takes or whatever. Right. That's what Michael says. He's like, and that's all. Yes. That's all it takes. It's all the only yes. qualification you need. Um, and Pam has this really good talking head. She's like, I've got a broken vacuum cleaner. Maybe that can be manager. Yeah. And it was like, no joke. She just says it. She yeah. thinks she's being legitimate. She's like, cause this is, this is the state of what we're doing. Um, of course, Michael can't keep up the game anymore once Dwight starts insulting his car, the infamous Sebring. And I wonder why it was that. Like, yeah. may, maybe it was just at that point, but like Michael has this really weird, you know, complex about the Sebring. He loves it, and he's overly protective of it. Like. Someone's made fun of him before for owning it, and he has to, like prove it's not or something. I mean, see, see, right. these weren't bad, aren't bad cars, or weren't. I mean, they weren't great, but they weren't bad cars. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the convertible is kind of like what he focuses on, um, right? You know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's his breaking point. But Michael has a lot of good like gym like moments too throughout this whole bit, where like he looks at the camera when. Like to give the camera a knowing look that he's very annoyed at Dwight's behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, now there was something I I, I know down is so when he's when they're talking in Michael's office about him getting the job, it seems like there's a couple times where Michael is trying to see if Dwight will turn down the job. Mm. You know, because he's like it look, right. he's really slow about it and like gives him time to answer and he's like. You know, there's a bit about how he he's like, well, if you think it's the right thing to do or whatever, then I'll do it. And it seems like Michael was just trying to get him to not do it. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm wondering, too, like if he's trying to see that Jan was maybe off base by her accusation, you know. So Dwight would like come clean and say what he was really doing or something like that. But maybe. Yeah, but Dwight gets called out. Um, he Rain Wilson's really great at like crying and drooling at the same time, as I learned in this scene, because he's on his knees. He's basically bowing and he's apologizing and he's saying all the things that he'll do, including laundry well, for a full year. But something is I actually didn't catch before mm. now was Michael's like. Why should I keep you? Why shouldn't I fire you? He's like, because I have solid sales numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Never caught that before. <laughs> yeah. It was like, not good enough. <laughs> He's like, I'll do your laundry. He's like, I have a laundry machine. <clears throat> um, and while this is all happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so while it's happening, um, Angela kind of is around about and is watching this whole sad affair kind of happen through the windows of Michael's office. And it's, you know, earlier in the episode, Dwight says that she can be in charge of the women. So she thinks this is her time to shine also, you know? So seeing her boyfriend in this state is like not great. Well, that's an interesting scene we should probably talk about because, you know, he's in, they're in the break room and she comes in and said, you know, we can make a difference. And Dwight says, I will make a difference. Right. You know, very much a whatever woman. Like, he's so power mad, like, drunk on power that like he's just being a douche. Right. <laughs> Through and through, you know. Yeah, it's not 
not like you said he he becomes better at being a manager mm-hmm. later yeah because he definitely treats being a manager more like being a king or some weird nonsense but we have to get to the great one of the great michael scott lions so you know dwight's down on the floor crying and everything he's like get up it's like what it's like hug it out bitch hug it out <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and apparently it's a line that he said to women no, he said, don't, well, yeah. And it, quote, doesn't translate. <laughs> it, uh, don't say it to women. <laughs> yeah. And then at the very end, there's a really nice scene between Karen and Jim where he's leaving for the day and he, like, th- throws a fake, like, imaginary grenade and she, like, throws the paper clips on her desk. And it's a really good scene. And at, at that point, I think everyone's like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's never quite clear up until, um, like, after branch closing that Jim and Karen are an item. Because while they're in Stanford, there's nothing that's overtly dainty about their behavior to each other, you know? Right. I mean, even on the last day, it's more joking, flirting. And presumably, I think at that point, they should be already dating, you know? Because the first day that um, Jim is back, he tells Pam that he's seeing someone. Right, uh, and we'll get to this, but in Diwali, that's where they do the order form consolidation, I think. Mm. And, right. you know, Jim gets really drunk, and he she takes him home. And I always kind of assume that that's when they started dating. I see. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely reasonable. Um, I mean, Karen's respectable. So I'm sure she didn't take advantage of Jim in his drunk state. Oh, I, uh, uh, I no, I disagree. <laughs> I see. But regardless, I think that experience and kind of seeing each other in that way, because up until that point, they've only ever hung out during work hours. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, is probably a good opportunity for them kind of to get to know each other differently. Um, so that happens. Um, there's a great like ending bit. Um, where Michael reveals that he's actually not forgiven Dwight at that point and that Dwight will be doing his laundry. <clears throat> and, like, I realized I was still angry. <laughs> yeah. You see Dwight standing up on these like boxes of paper with a little liar sign around his, his neck. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, and that's that episode in a nutshell. I mean, it's, I think it's it's got a lot going on and it's, I think, the first... To me, it feels like the first time we see Jim substantially in Stanford. Yeah. The other, the other ones, it's like we see him for a bit, but this one, like, he's almost a half of the episode, which is like nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, what do you think is episode? What do you want to rate it? You know. Well, so I didn't write these down beforehand, but I'm going to take a total shot in the dark, and I'm going to say four point one out of five. Wow. Big yeah. one. Um, waffles. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, uh, like you said, there's there's a lot going on, but I think it's all entertaining, and it doesn't do the thing that always bums me out and has one of the characters we're supposed to, like, do something that we don't like. You know, it's not Michael being a jerk, or it's not Jim being picked on or whatever, you know? Like, the good guys of the episode continue to be the good guys, so it's fun to watch, and it's not stressful to me. And Dwight kind of gets his comeuppance, finally, so. Right. Uh, I like this episode. Um, and you kind of stole my, my uh, identifier oh, here. Yeah. Like, it, it's a big episode. It's not 
great for me, but it's big. It's an important episode. A lot of, like I said earlier, a lot of things get set up for going forward. So I'm going to give this um, 2.75 out of 5 stacks of waffles. 2.75. All right. Um, yeah, I got to say, I mean, I don't know. I think my all my ratings for all the episodes this season are going to be way off the charts because they're my damn voting system. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I choose to do, damn it. <clears throat> okay, so we move on. And up next we have Grief Counseling. Episode four of the season. It was written by Jennifer Salata and directed by Roger Nygaard. Now, in terms of Jennifer Salata, I will say that um, watching a lot of the bloopers for the seasons, she seems to be on set a lot. Um, she writes, she directs. Um, she wrote email surveillance, drug testing, grief counseling, Benihana Christmas, beach parties, launch party, goodbye Toby, and the list goes on. Um, wow. So there's a lot of uh, bits during bloopers where one of the characters will be doing fine, but then Jen will laugh off camera. So everybody will be like, that's Jen. <laughs> Um, so that's how I recognize her name because she's in the bloopers a lot because she thinks she's so fucking funny (laughs) explicit tag guys explicit okay (laughs) Um, yeah and then this other guy I don't know Roger Nygaard I think this is his first episode it might be let's see clicking it now Roger Nygaard grief counseling only episode wow his description on the office wikia is directed an episode of the office so that's it wow that's interesting. I guess you mean you do have some of these one-offs, so maybe like, I don't know, they just need to pull somebody in or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's not even a writer for the show or nothing, but uh, who knows? <laughs> anyway, so grief counseling. Um, what is the cold open to this? Oh, it's this really funny bit where <laughs> Michael has three or four columns of paper boxes and he is asking different people in the office if they need something from the warehouse. And when they say they don't, he says, yes, you do. I'll go get it for you. And he does the old classic walking down the stairs behind a wall thing. Mm-hmm. Um, first, he gets Ryan a pencil. Then he decides to get Pam coffee. Um, no, there, there was one other thing. And then Pam asked Michael... Would you give me some coffee from the warehouse? And he's like, oh, no, there, there's so, the coffee in the break room. But there is just so much better. And yeah. one, Dwight loves this way too much. He's like cracking up. No <laughs> grown man should love this as much as he's loving it. Yeah. But, but I give Michael credit, man. He really, like, commits. So he's like crawling around the floor to get her coffee. And, you know, and then she's like, cream and sugar. He's like, oh. <clears throat> <laughs> but he, he, you know he stays with it, so I, I gotta give him um, give no, him credit he, for it. He totally commits, and he does the thing, and he does it well. I mean, he's all tired and huffing and puffing and sweaty and stuff, but um, he does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the cold open. It's it's very funny. Um, but then we go into the episode itself, and um, he gets a phone call, Michael, from Jan, saying that we've lost Ed Truck. So the helpful guy Michael Liz starts looking for Ed's cell phone, but it is revealed that Ed Truck passed away. Right. And for those of you keeping score at home, we met Ed Truck during the carpet episode. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the only outside. time that I think so too. Yeah. 
we meet Ed. Uh, So Michael, he goes out and he tells everybody. And it's not until he realizes that he can get attention that he cares. Right. So, like, Kelly says something and, you know, he's like, oh, wait, I guess I should be. And then he, you know, tries to start... um, getting people to uh talk to him and uh that kind of stuff so yeah it's an interesting thing and he uh you know michael just he just starts milking it like he tries to you know get with you know get pam to give him a hug and everything else uh so that's really interesting to me uh especially uh but yeah sorry my 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 tr- my thought train went off the rails there for a second. <laughs> That's fair. Totally reasonable. Um, let's see. So, well, so Michael, Michael kind of goes through this interesting roller coaster ride during this episode, right? Because he mm-hmm. starts off kind of not really affected by Ed dying, and he's kind of using it to get sympathy for it, right? Right. Because and he doesn't even realize he could do this up until Kelly and Phyllis are trying to console him, you know? Right. And then when he starts seeing he can get that, he uses this as this like weird perverted opportunity to like become emotionally attached to his coworkers. So he's like walking around the office and he keeps bringing it up, but I think as he continues to talk about it, he starts to get sad himself about it. And it becomes a totally separate issue. It's not so much that Ed died, but it becomes this thing where he sees himself and Ed as a previous regional manager. And when he's making that connection and seeing everybody else's kind of lack of sadness over Ed, he kind of sees it as a parallel of himself and how he might be perceived moving forward. And I'm jumping ahead, but that's kind of... So Michael kind of goes up and down in terms of like, He's taking advantage of the situation. Then he feels legitimately sad, but not for the right reasons. And well, he really didn't. I mean, yeah, he he milked it, but it wasn't until Cree told him that he was that Ed was decapitated. That's that right. He lost his kappa. <laughs> but the question is, do we actually know if Ed actually was decapitated? Because it That's was coming point. out of Creed. So yeah. there's a really good chance he just, like, you know, died in his sleep. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because who knows where Creed's getting his information from. Because <clears throat> there, there was something I ex- exchanged that I don't um, remember what it is, but it makes it sound like Creed doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Michael believes it because it's so whatever yeah i mean creed says it's so matter-of-factly he says he's like drunk as a skunk mm-hmm. his vehicle slides under an 18-wheeler um but it's kind of the same way well i was gonna say he was lying about that too but he's not later on when oscar's around kind of asking what what's been happening and creed kind of does this rundown but like not super clear he's like such and such happened. We had a funeral for a bird. Something, something happened. But Jim's in the room too. And Jim's like, I don't think any of that's right. <laughs> or he's like, I don't think any of that's real. And then Creed goes, you're not real. You're so, not real, man. Yeah. So that brief instant where Creed had some credibility, he kind of ruins it by like his nonsensical reply. Right. Um, yeah. So it's hard to take him at 
face value because he seems to know things and he also seems to make up a lot of stuff. And the more I watch it, like it's it's a bit more subtle uh, in mm. the beginning, but you still get a lot of just like crazy Creed really early. It's just more subtle than in the later episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because even in Halloween back in season two, his like the way he's asking for his job is kind of really weird. Because I think on a personal level, if someone was about to fire me, I mean, Michael was right when he said it. He's like, you're always thinking of me as the guy who almost fired you. But Creed takes this really twisted concept. He's like, no, you'll be the guy who saved my job. And I think that's always Creed's like line of thinking. Is it's always like, look at the world, jump to the left, and then bend everything sideways because it's always kind of skewed. <laughs> um, there is a B storyline in this episode where uh, Karen is kind of bummed out. Um, so uh, to make her feel better, she wants like her favorite kind of chips. Well, okay, so this is this is actually something. I hadn't really um, made the connection with before. So Karen forgot to do something. Mm. And Josh is like, Jim, can you make sure she does that? And she gets hella pissed. Right. So that, that that's an interesting thing. And then Andy's a douchebag because he's a douchebag. And calling Jim a suck up for Jim saying he would do what he was told to do. So Karen is looking for these salt and vinegar hers potato chips, which we actually have them here, like in this part of the world. <laughs> like I don't know how big hers is as a company, but I, I see them every once in a while. I'm like, maybe I should buy them, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but Jim makes this really nice gesture to try and make her not pissed at him, right? By saying, "Look." You have to find these chips. And it starts off this really cool like scavenger hunt for these chips. Yeah, and it um, it's not really any... I think it's okay if we kind of breeze through at least the chunk of it because it's not really substantial in terms of story-wise, but you have Jim comedically calling warehouse distributors pretending to be a store owner. You have What's Karen, your store number? Yeah, six. six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have Karen calling Montreal or Quebec or something like that Montreal. up in Canada. Yeah. So we learn that she can speak French. Yeah, which is just um, Rashida Jones being the fancy, super smart, exotic-looking lady that she is. Um, and Jim doesn't know what that will happen, but he's like, sounds good. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, yeah, so, you know, just a lot of, like, kind of cutaway bits of them comedically looking for these chips. Mm-hmm. Um, but then back to the main chunk of the episode here. Um, you know, Michael's trying to plead with Jan what they can do to honor Ed Truck. Right. Because what's, Martin Luther King gets a whole day. Yeah. He didn't even work there, Jacob. <laughs> well, what's funny is uh, if you look while he's talking to Jan... He's looking at a picture of him with that truck, you know, with his hip, you know, frizzy uh-huh. hair and everything. He actually takes an envelope and, like, covers Ed's head. Yeah. So, something I hadn't really caught before, but... It's super so, subtle, yeah. So, we end, up, we end up with Michael wanting to make a robot of of Ed 
And Dwight's like, look, we need to make him two-thirds the size and give him an, a, a six-foot cord so if he turns on us, we can, we, we, he won't kill us. Yeah. I love his preparedness. He's like, that's oh, not a bad idea. Yeah, and normally Michael would kind of like scoff at that kind of stuff. But um, Dwight suggested it, and Michael's like, that's a good point. Six-foot extension cord makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's going down and you know michael's just trying to get now he's trying to get the whole office to properly be sad about the whole thing um and it kind of comes to a head when toby has to kind of in front of everybody kind of try to relax him and chill him out and saying that death is just a natural thing and even this morning you know he saw a little bird crash into the office Mm -hmm. window and die and um and michael kind of turns you know and he runs outside to perform bird CPR. Um, and Dwight is like, get away. You don't want to catch those germs and bacteria. And Michael says, you can't get diseases from a bird. Um, right. Avian flu, right? <laughs> and we, uh, when he's talking to Jan, you can, like we were talking about before, and we see, I think you see this through every episode in this block is, Jan just gets more and more frustrated with Michael. Mm-hmm. Like she's just done with it. Right. And you just, you know, these real deep sighs and everything else. Then, you know, we have this great line of his kappa was detated. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like a bit too, like even uh, in the main office where he's like doing his whole sad bit or whatever. And, he spits on Stanley, and Stanley goes, "You have just spit on my face." <laughs> yeah, and uh, another great, just Michael. One of the great Michael moments is he's like, yeah, "There's five stages of uh, grieving," and he lists them off. He's like, well, "If I if I can get them depressed, then I will have done my job." Yeah, <laughs> which is such a weird mental place to be, even for Michael. It's true. Well, again, it just kind of shows, like, what do you call it? Like, his he doesn't care that they're fine. He wants them to be as sad as he is, too. Right. And, and I think you made a good point of he wants them to be sad, so when he, you know, if he were to die, they would be sad that he was dead. Right. Yeah. Um, the bird doesn't make it. Didn't make it hours ago. So Michael decides to have a funeral, um, you know, and again, there's just a huge parallel with showing respect for this bird so that he could see the office care about the bird so that he knows that they'll care about him when he goes. Um, right. Dwight unsuccessfully tries to make a coffin for the bird by putting him in an old soda can, um, purposefully or accidentally removing the bird's beak in the process. Um, it would have fit if he, if Michael had given him more time. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, also, we we find out that um, Dwight's grandfather was reburied in an old oil drum. Now, reburied when? Reburied just prior to casino night when Dwight took the family heirloom tuxedo off of his grandpa in which he was buried in. It's a good question, or maybe as we learn earlier or later in the show that they had this got into this bad habit of burying people who were still alive <laughs> so maybe they buried him and he was still alive and they realized it <laughs> yeah something. yeah yeah i mean also too maybe it's just regular to 
exhume the bodies of Shrut folk all the time. They're like, oh man, he was buried with that watch, and I don't know what time it is, so you <laughs> take him out real quick. <clears throat> um, There's a really good scene here with the the ball toss meeting where Michael's like wanting people to talk about people they've lost that are that were near to them and everything. Right. And so we get this whole thing of well first Roy tries to save Pam. You know, like hey something's wrong with your car, everything else. Uh it's so but they wait for her. And this is sort of the start of the Pam Roy thing getting going again. Right. Uh but they wait for her and they come back. And when he throws the ball to Pam, uh, she references Million Dollar Baby when she starts talking about, um, you know, her aunt who was a boxer and died, and which then gets referenced again when Michael has his Netflix into the office, uh-huh. and she realizes that she's watching. He's he's watching Million Dollar Baby. And she's like. Oh my God, he's going to try and kill me. Right. <laughs> so that, that was interesting that it's come up a few times. So, um, the ball gets passed to Ryan, who adapts the Lion King for this meeting's purposes. Which I don't Kevin, know. I don't know how he uh, like how Michael he got away with it, one. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he says Mufasa. Right. And he's like, oh, that sounds like it'd be a good story. And Ryan's like, that would take me, a, you know, an hour and a half to tell probably. Yeah. I mean, he lays his on way thicker. Right? He also says, like, we're all kind of shocked in the audience, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the ball gets passed to Kevin, who picks up on what's happening, but unskillfully basically is pushing Michael to say, hey, I'm talking about Weekend at Bernie's. Right. Um. So Dwight's uh, can coffin doesn't work out. Pam, kind of sensing what's happening, uh, made a pretty sweet coffin out of like an old tissue box and some pencils and cotton and all types of stuff like that. Um, so they put the bird in it and they decided to go outside to have a Viking type funeral for the bird in a box of like <laughs> shredded yeah, that paper. That was the question. One of the questions I had is like, why did they light the thing on fire? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. See, and then Michael just leaves it burning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's not great great planning. Um but they burn it. Uh Pam kind of takes over, kind of realizing what's happening with Michael there. So she gets Dwight to play a song I've never heard of before and she sings to it terribly and everybody holds hands and, and Michael actually feels better. And she gives a nice speech about how the bird wasn't really alone because there's people who cared about him. And- right. What was funny, though, is at one point, Michael says, we're going to have a funeral for the bird Toby killed. Yeah. He blames the bird's death on Toby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is pretty good. Um, so back in Stanford, Karen gets the, or Jim gets the chips for Karen. Karen feels great about it. It's revealed that Jim didn't try that hard all he had to do was call the uh distributor who referred him to the vending machine company who told him that they sell the same chips in the building next door right <clears throat> grabs the chips leaves them on karen's desk easy peasy right it, you know, still, that yeah. whole thing the b storyline well not huge for story 
again, really starts building that Jim, Karen will be together. You know, she's by the end of the episode, you know, she's happy about the whole thing. And so she really likes him and because he's showing off the nice guy streak and the whole thing. So. Right, right. Um, there was a funny blooper where uh, Rashida Jones sat down, took the bag and couldn't open it like at all. And they had to stop filming and then reset the scene to shoot it again. So hers has some quality bags. Apparently. <laughs> um, so that's that in Stanford. Um, the funeral goes off without a hitch. And right before credits roll, we come back. And I think, honestly, it's maybe 30 seconds after the folks from the office walk away that Dwight already has a fire extinguisher and puts out the bird fire stomps on the casket to put the fire out and then tells the warehouse folks to mush mush clean this up <laughs> oh no there was a quite a bit burned on that box i mean i think it was probably a little bit longer than yeah maybe maybe i don't know i, I also feel like dwight's kind of that cold though like they're leaving he's like all right show's over like let's <laughs> let's do it I mean, it might have been just long enough for him to get the the fire extinguisher, but you yeah, know, this is this is sort of how Dwight is. He, he even talks about he's like, you know, in the Shrewd household, if uh, we wanted bacon, we slaughtered a pig. Right. You know, right. Just talking about how just sort of around being around animals and stuff is just really normal for him. So that's just kind of how he is. Right. Uh, so that's it. Anything else? No, I mean, it's a good episode. It's fun. Um, nothing. It's just kind of there. In turn, I mean, it builds some relationships, but beyond that, it's not really key to the story for the season. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I like it. What would you rate it? Uh, <laughs> my rating is not going to reflect what I just said. But I gave it... Um, <clears throat> Two, two out of five burning birds in the wind. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, um, like I said, I mean, I'm a sucker for this whole season. Um, and especially having watched these four episodes, like in a group, you know, it's hard to take the episode out of the context of the whole season. But, um, so I gave it a 3.2 out of five tunes played on a recorder. Um, it's, it's sad, but it's got some real funny bits. I mean, anytime Michael, run sloppily past the camera and the crew has to chase him down the stairs is always like a is a pretty solid bit right and, and something that isn't really talked about but like dwight's got some serious uh musical ability because he can play yeah. the guitar he can play the recorder you know yeah i mean and then you know later on when andy comes on board and he's playing the guitar and he plays the banjo and he's playing the steel drum you know they have a pretty solid little band going on between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That is a good scene where they're in the break room with Aaron. That, that, that's way down the line, but yeah. that's a, no, good, it, that's a really good. good scene. My girlfriend, I think, got there maybe a couple weeks ago or whatever, and she, like, she purposely brought that scene to my attention. She just thought how funny it was that like Aaron splits and they're just like going off, and they're doing really well with each other, but Toby's got to knock him off. He's like, guys, come on. <laughs> <clears throat> so next up we have Initiation, written by B.J. Novak and directed by Randall Einhorn. Uh, so this this episode is all about um, 
Pete, Dwight, Ryan asked Dwight to take him out on a sales call so he could learn stuff. And so Dwight takes it on himself to, like, have his mythical training thing. Mm. So it opens up cold open where uh, Dwight keeps trying to throw all these brain teasers at Ryan. So it's like, you know, it hits the, you know, they're on the North Pole one and the doctor is the boy's mother. (laughs) Yeah, I got a, I was really confused. I'd never heard the North Pole one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was always trying to figure out why it's the North. But the full riddle explains that the hunter only moves three times, like South, West, North, and they end up in the same place is how the riddle goes. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's why the North Pole makes sense because it's the only place where that would happen. Right. When I was looking up the riddle after watching this episode, though, it goes on to explain that there's actually a place in the South Pole where that is also the truth. Because I guess a mile and a half or something away from the South Pole is like the perfect circumference so that any point in that circular area of the pole will make you end up in the same place also. It's very complicated. It took me like 45 (laughs) minutes to read it. I was like, what is this crap? (laughs) Um, And none of those answered, where are polar bears? Are they in Antarctica? Are they in the North Pole? I don't know. But it's a riddle. It's light. I always thought they were north, but they could be in both. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the traditional answer is the North Pole, solid. Mm -hmm. But some mathematician was like, well, technically speaking, it's also true in the South Pole if you're... Yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy nonsense. (laughs) Okay, anyways, yeah, so um, he knows them all. And Ryan does that a couple times this season where he kind of fires off a lot of answers quickly. You know, he knows all these riddles. During Benihana Christmas, he's got like eight excuses all lined up. Like he's kind of becoming a he, – he's like a no-nonsense kind of guy in terms of the office. He doesn't put up with the shenanigans, you know. He knows how to deal with it. He just answers and he keeps going. It's kind of a an interesting side of Ryan Right, but that it, like is only seen during this season, you know. Right. And you know, Dwight kind of calls him out on it later when he's giving him some sales advice. He's like, you think you know everything and customers don't like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is also pretzel day. Pretzel day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> um, so Jan and Michael have a conversation about Michael's productivity and he's not quite understanding and he ends up asking about her day and Right. She chastises him or whatever. So uh, she gives Pam the task of kind of secretly spying on what Michael does throughout the day. So throughout the episode, she kind of shows a timesheet of what he's been doing from X time to X time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what we see and from what she writes down, it doesn't look like he does much. <laughs> but uh, – like the Stanford branch, by the end of the day, Michael's actually done something pretty significant, which is also why Stanford can play Call of Duty all day, because they do something very significant, but doesn't take up a lot of time, you know? Right. Um, but he's a lot of his day is occupied by the Pretzel Day line. Well, we don't know how much of his day was occupied by the Pretzel Day line. Yeah, I mean, substantial. It's a pretty long line, I suppose. <laughs> Everybody seems pretty sad when they run downstairs and see how long the line is. Right. Uh, and one thing, like at least for part of it, it, when Pam shows the 
the the sheet. Yeah. He goes down for the pretzel day at noon. So, I mean, is that not his lunch hour? Like, right. So that half hour count or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Or hour if he he's fancy, he probably gets a full hour. Um. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and obviously too, he uh. He ends up getting a sugar rush because of the pretzel he gets. Yeah, the works. <clears throat> yeah, and, um, and I, I really it. wish I would have written down all the toppings because it was an impressive amount of toppings. Let's see. I wonder if this has a list. Uh, it is an impressive amount, though. It's kind of um, you feel like how I, I've never I couldn't even fathom a pretzel covered in as many things as that person lists. I mean, you couldn't. You would not be able to see the pretzel. Here we Which go. Is, 18 sweet pretzel toppings, sweet glaze, cinnamon sugar, chocolate, white chocolate, fudge, M&M's, caramel dip, mint chip, chocolate chip, marshmallows, nuts, toffee nuts, coconut, peanut butter drizzle, Oreos, sprinkles, cotton candy bits, and powdered sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. There's no flipping pretzel there. This is just like a paper plate with like drenched, soggy pretzel. pretzel. <laughs> and meanwhile, over in Stanford, uh, Apparently, at one point, Jim had a squeaky chair that Karen, or Karen had a squeaky chair and swapped it for Jim's, and then he took it back, and so Karen is trying to get Jim to stand up so she can steal the, steal the chair back, right. and it enlists uh, Andy's help, he just, just falls flat on his face trying to, like, get Jim, he's like, hey... Hey, yeah. Jim, can we talk? Can we talk over there? Yeah, does not work out great. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's the thing about, I mean, a lot of these season, uh, rather episodes when Jim's in Stanford is we get a lot of, like, these weird one-off bits where it's just, like, the jokey stuff. And it's almost like then the Scranton branch doesn't get the jokey side stories because they're in Stanford, you know? Right. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Like the chips trip or this uh, chair thing or Call of Duty. Like that's all like the funny stuff that normally would be happening. So now Scranton deals with like the funeral and, you know, all the – and again, it's all funny. It's a comedy show. But, yeah, there's no silly side stories happening in Scranton as much. <laughs> um, okay, so – that that's going down, but eventually Ryan and um, Dwight are out on the road, and they're going to a sales call, quote unquote, and they find themselves in a large field, which mm-hmm. happens to be part of Shroot Farms. Uh, Dwight tries to pull some Miyagi nonsense by having Ryan try to pick a beet seed out of his hand, which he does in like two attempts. Yeah, I guess on the second attempt. Yeah, um, then he has him like digging through or like spreading mm-hmm. manure. He was planting. He was playing the beet seed, and he's like, "That's it. Uh, why don't you know? As you plant your seed in, in the ground, I will plant it in you." <laughs> yeah, I don't thing, think you know what you're saying. <laughs> and then, and then, but all in all, like Dwight's advice is actually pretty good advice. Like, yeah, he, you know, he just doesn't know how to put it out there for Ryan to like understand. I guess right. But when yeah. he's just really succinctly saying it, it's actually really top-notch advice. Yeah. No, it's true. And, I mean, and Dwight is the top salesman for a reason, you know? Right. 
But one one thing, especially through the advice he gives, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but you can you do understand one why he's as good as um, why he is the number one salesman. But that also he does have this person personable thing to do for with people, right? You know, he doesn't. A lot of his sales stuff isn't about winning, like dominating the conversation. It's about keeping the conversation going in a certain direction. You know, right. it's not like, oh, you just dominate and, you know, it's getting, it's getting people to come around to his, uh, line of thinking. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, at some point Ryan is kind of fed up with Dwight's nonsense. No, no, it's still a bit later. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He ends up going into the barn. Right, where he must wrestle fear. Yeah, yeah. And is, is this um, the first Moe's sighting? Yeah, I feel like it must be. Um, it's, I mean, again, it's weird because, like, we see Moe's a bunch moving forward, you know, kind of on and off, uh, you know, as part of Dwight's random cast of his weird friends that he's got elsewhere. But um, I think it's the first time we actually see him. Right, and that is cool. And you get to see, like, this is the first true farm sighting as well yeah yeah it so is. you get to see sort of like some of his stuff and which so it's really i thought that was really cool and i, I liked uh, i i just thought it was a really good scene all together like ryan is is getting you know exasperated and you know dwight just ends up telling him I was like man i you know jim is me and jim never got along and you can tell he's just really looking for like friend and a guy yeah. to like do sales calls with and right. be a team and all that other stuff and Ryan's like I don't want that yeah right <coughs> he's like I just want to learn whatever whatever um, we do find some interesting tidbits out during the barn scene though because there's a little bit of like a trivia going on um, so you know there's some like telling information about Michael it's one question what is Michael Scott's greatest fear nothing or snakes. <laughs> or snakes, yeah. But I think Ryan's probably closer by saying loneliness or mm-hmm. women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps loneliness, perhaps women. Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty great. Um, so when Moe's comes out to wrestle, Ryan has enough, walks out, starts walking down the road, and um, Dwight follows him with a basket and a nicely whittled naked lady that Moe's made, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, some freeze frames have caused me to believe that's what I'm supposed to be looking at there. Um, totally fine, whatever, and a basket of eggs. And then they go on their sales call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is like this thing with um, Ryan and Dwight. It's really big because you learn a lot about Dwight. In this scene, in in these couple of scenes, you know, because he really does want to be on a good term with Ryan. And so part of me thinks that, you know, maybe this is one reason why Dwight ends up really not liking Ryan. Because he was, uh, you know, kind of shunned him or whatever. Um, But I I think it's it's just a really good character building for Dwight because you learn a lot about how he likes to sell and everything else. Right. Yeah. Um, and then like both of them learn something like you said from that whole interaction. Ryan learns that he shouldn't be such a know-it-all because obviously he doesn't and Dwight kind of realizes that 
um, you know, he's weird. <laughs> Sometimes he has to, you know, give other people some credit. So uh, the sales call doesn't go out so well. Apparently, to Ryan's face, they say that they don't like him. <laughs> they didn't have to say it to your face. Um, in retaliation, Ryan starts chucking eggs at the building, and Dwight follows suit. Security comes out, doesn't even chase him. They just kind of come out trying to figure out what's happening, and uh, they make a getaway in the Camaro. Right. Um, and then they go have a drink, and they have some type of bomb. I don't know. What, it's a shot of something inside of something. It just um, looked like a boiler maker. That's Which it. is what, a shot of whiskey inside a lager, I think? Yeah. Um, Ryan See, does come, a great job. When it comes to beer bombs, I'm more of a... Um, oh, God. Irish car bomb. There we go. Irish car bomb, yep. Lunch sure. boxes are good, too. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I don't uh, I don't drink. I don't know bombs. <laughs> I like a Mike's Hard. <laughs> you know, give me one of those. Maybe a, a Zima. <clears throat> anything that tastes like soda is solid. Yeah. Uh, Anyways. Um, yeah. So he downs that. It's pretty great. Uh, um, what else happens? Okay. So, so there's a lot going on in Scranton here because the Michael's still freaking out about pretzel that he gets his pretzel with all 18 toppings. He starts doing aerobics in his office on the chair while listening to, uh, what is it? Rock and roll part one by Gary glitter. Yeah. Um, he is trying to arrange the office in many a different way to maximize productivity. Uh, doesn't culminate in anything aside from him taking a nap from his sugar crash. But when he wakes up, we find out that he actually made a pretty substantial sale to right. somebody, Caselli. Yeah. Um, right. And it's something that he's been working on all episode, but he finally yeah. got it. And so, and Mike, Michael obviously falls asleep. We don't ever see him asleep, but he, he wakes up if you know, when everyone's trying to leave, he's like, Oh, what time is it? He's like five 20 AM or PM. Yeah. You know, like one of his cheeks is all red. <laughs> he right. obviously passed out on his desk. He's like, Hey, these contracts came for you. It's a huge sale. So, and and I guess, you know, The guy, a guy like Michael would be really tough to deal with because he gets results and things work, right? Like he, he's a good salesperson and everything else and his branch does pretty well. So it's like, do you fire him for being a moron or do you keep him because he brings in money? Right. I mean, this is kind of a parallel to the Chili's episode, right? Where like mm -hmm. it, it takes all day, but it's a huge sale, you know? something that could or would save a branch because, you know, it's the kind of sale that, like, makes your year kind of thing, you know? Right. Um, and obviously we don't see numbers for either of those events, but we are led to believe that there's something that's really worth note. Um, so Michael has these skills to do it. But, like you said, is it worth putting up movie day, you know, multiple diversity training purposes, um, possible unionizing of the warehouse for him to be an awesome salesperson every couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we're going to find out in a few short episodes, not this week, but um, soon, that no. <laughs> if Dunder Mifflin had its choice, they would have let Michael go. Correct. Yeah. Um, so that's that. 
Stanley ends the episode with that there is 364 days till the next pretzel day. We didn't even talk about it, but apparently this is also Stanley's favorite day of the year. Yes. Uh, it's like one of the first times he kind of hustles away. He's got his crossword puzzles. Him and Michael do like a pretty good buddy cop thing while criticizing uh, Phyllis for potentially cutting the line. <laughs> um, well, one thing we're, we haven't got to yet sort of in the episode is Jim calls the office uh, to go to get a hold of um, Kevin for fantasy football stuff. And Pam is still there. And so and they talk for a while. Like Pam is like super awkward and doesn't know what to say. And you know, she tells a story about like 28 days and she thought it was going to be <laughs> yeah. 28 days later. Right. <laughs> 28 days. Yeah. Whatever. And you get the impression that they were on the phone for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Pam's base. she sits back down at her desk and she's like hanging out and it seems like everybody in Jim's office is gone. He's one of the last people there. I mean, one thing I did notice is day turns to night while they're on the phone. Yeah. I mean, that could just be, you know, a filming thing. But if it's done for effect, then he's there, there at least an hour. Right. Yeah. And so and this, I think, will play into the Diwali episode mm. because Pam expects something out of Jim, but we really don't know what. Right. But, and I think this must have played something into it. Yeah, and they never really answer that, and well, you know, we're about to talk about it in like five minutes, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's an accurate guess. Is that whatever conversation that they had just had might have given Pam a different impression of where they were going moving forward? Correct. Right. Um, anything else? No, I think I'm good. Alrighty, so I. Uh, Probably not my favorite of the bunch here. Um, so I'm going to tell you my review. It's 2.8 out of 5 weirdly shaped whittled figurines. <laughs> I'm pretty close here. Uh, I'm a 3 out of 5 uh, coffins. Because of the coffin that Dwight trying to get Ryan to, to get into. Yeah. Yeah, not a bad episode. But of the bunch, it's... There's a lot going on, so you know uh, the jokes are a little different. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. And our last episode of the episode is Diwali, uh, which is kind of like an Indian Halloween, <laughs> at least according to Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got. Uh, well, we'll do it proper. It was written by Mindy Kaling. Totally fitting. Makes sense. Hopefully, I'm glad it was <laughs> written by her because. Uh, some white person who doesn't know what's happening starts talking about other people's religious occasions. Uh, maybe it'd be a little weird and inappropriate, but I hope Mindy Kaling knows what she's talking about. And it was directed by Miguel R. Teta. Right, it was who, actually kind of funny. Oops, sorry. Oh, he only directed this episode, so not much to say about him. What's kind of funny is you are talking about how, you know, a white per- person shouldn't do it, but in the episode... The white uh-huh. people are the only ones who know what's going on because right. Kelly doesn't know anything right. about it except for it's fun and there's dancing and food. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so our cold open is not really cold open, but no. essentially Ryan is putting on his um, article of clothing. Did they give it a name yeah. in this episode? 
I do what? what it's I don't know what it's called either. I should look yeah. that up. Uh, and we we get right away. We get you know Michael being super like racially insensitive by laughing at Ryan. He's like, <laughs> "Nice dress." Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, it, what's funny is there's a bit where like Pam and someone else says that they think he looks good in it. Right. And Michael says, "How come you didn't get me one to Kelly?" Yeah. Once he realizes that like the women like. It. Yeah, I mean, one is if it's like a cheap piece of clothing that she can just buy a bunch of, and uh, two is if Kelly would give a damn about Michael, anyways. <laughs> that son of a gun. But yeah, exactly. Uh, so they kind of end up having a meeting so that they can discuss Hindu culture and explain Diwali because Kelly has sent this invite to everybody to attend this community mm-hmm. Diwali occasion. Um, so in the meeting, they talk about famous Indian folks, and there's a picture of Ben Kingsley up there. <clears throat> I mean, Ben Kingsley's the only one. I mean, obviously, he's not Indian, but it's the only person that Michael's familiar with. Everybody else, he has to, like, read off of cue cards. Right. Different Nobel Peace Prize winners and such. In a poo from The Simpsons. Exactly, because, of course. <laughs> and the meeting eventually spirals into a conversation about the Kama Sutra. Because <laughs> of course it would. Yeah. Uh, and Michael has made some very nice color printouts for the whole office to look at. Creed is already familiar with all of those positions, as is Meredith, though she doesn't have the label for it. It's like, oh, that's what that's <laughs> called. <laughs> um, and it takes Angela to finally be like, hey, this is offensive to me. And Toby agrees, starts confiscating things. What I did find funny is like, Pam was really into it. Like, if you like watch her, she's like really like studying this thing. Yeah, I mean, maybe she, uh, you know, she could just use some tips now at this point. She's <laughs> she's been single for a while. She's been out of the game, you know. And you know this this whole meeting, like, I don't know. It, it's weird because even though Dwight, because uh, Michael wants Kelly to explain what Diwali is. Right. And he's not really doing a good job. And then Dwight, Dwight gets up and starts telling the story of Diwali and you know, the actual story. Right. And Michael's like, look, this isn't Lord of the Rings. Go sit down. Da, 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 da. But it, it's true. It's just how it happened. You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the meeting eventually kind of just ends there in that regard. Um, but everybody's going to go. Um, well, we don't know if. Pam's gonna go and like Kelly's like I thought we were really good friends. Why aren't you gonna come? Yeah. Da, da, da. Was... yeah. Uh, Meredith does. Oh man, is Meredith not there? I don't think Meredith's at the party in the end. And if she is, we don't see her at all because she suggests to Pam that they stay in together, watching Sex in the City, drinking apple teenies. That would be an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, I think it would turn into. Uh, Meredith just drinking the alcoholic substance straight without mixing it with anything right out of the bottle. <clears throat> and I I could see her trying to get handsy with Pam. I don't know. I mean... I don't yeah. know either, but I think Meredith will just do people. I know, but she doesn't seem like somebody who would swing that direction. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I don't know. I just don't want to put it past Meredith. She's been in front of cameras. <laughs> um, she knows many... Many uh, sex position, 
you know, I just uh, I don't want to not give her enough credit. I suppose <laughs> it'd be unfair of me. That's true. Uh, um, and our B yeah. storyline is in Stanford with the order form consolidation. Yeah. So this is. I don't know why they have to do this and Scranton doesn't. Right. Uh, but so they have to stay late and it's apparently there's only three salespeople this entire office. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I thought was weird too. And that Josh as the manager also doesn't have to stay. Right. It's just the salespeople. And so they, they stay late and Andy brings booze and they start doing shots. And in my notes, I just put down, Oh sweet Jesus Jaeger. Like, I hate, Oh, 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 Jaeger. Jaeger is the absolute worst. I hate Jaeger so much. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it does the job for Andy and Jim, and they get quite incapacitated. Oh, no, it'll fuck you right up. But, yep. I mean, like, I got sick off of Jaeger once, and that was enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, that's fair. Like, like, sometimes you'll get sick, and you'll just go back to it. Not a big deal, but not Jaeger. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh, hey, Jaeger. Um, Karen's not drinking. You know, it's kind of interesting. Josh gives Karen the corporate card, but I'm fairly sure Jim is the number two. I suppose Karen as maybe the more experienced of the three of them in terms of working at Stanford is why she gets the card. But one, we're led to believe that in a previous occasion of doing this, she purchased too much food for everybody. Right. Um, two, she's not participating in the drinking. So I think she knows it's smart. what Andy does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but she doesn't drink, but she does pretend for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, and then not only does Jim not know what's going on, didn't know that there was going to be drinking, and then Josh doesn't trust him with the corporate card or anything like that. Just just an interesting kind of flow of all that. See, I never really thought about the whole not trusting him with the corporate card thing. I just thought that's what Karen did. Like, right. that was her her thing. For whatever reason, I, n- I never really, really put that together. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not trusting, Jim. But, yeah, I just, you know, and maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe, again, just doing this show and watching this stuff like four times within a two week period to make sure I got everything down just makes you kind of question things that maybe you don't need to question. Well, and it, or it could be just like you said earlier, like a, a time thing. Cause Jim's yeah. only been at that branch for three maybe, or four months now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if yeah. you, if you go by air date, assuming that things are happening roughly around this time, Right. Um, he would have been there. So he transferred in June, so July, August, September, October. So he had been there for about five months. Yeah. So he may not have the authority to, to use the, the, the corporate card. Yeah, that could be too. Um, just interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good move in the end again because Karen was not drunk. So she was able to order accordingly. <laughs> You know, maybe Josh knew what Andy was going to do, so... Yeah, maybe. Um, so we eventually end up at the Diwali Festival. Right. Um, Michael yeah. tells Carol that it's a costume party. And, he, and, you, 
and she knows what's up. Like she's, you know, keen on all this stuff. And he's like, well, what do you call that? It's like a woman in a sari. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so if Michael had said it's a Diwali festival, maybe she would have been better prepared. But instead, he probably proposed it as Halloween or a costume right. party. Yeah, so she shows up in a full cheerleader outfit. Um, right. And Mike shows up in the thing he wore for last year's Halloween. Right, which is kind of cheap because all he has to do is remove that head and he doesn't look that weird anymore. <laughs> right. His paper mache head thing, yeah. What, what I did find funny, though, is like Dwight shows up perfectly dressed for the occasion well we do find out during diversity day that dwight's got a bit of a thing for indian culture indian ladies um that's true, that's true. yeah he's all like um he asked something about like being attracted to other races or whatever like that and um kelly and him have that weird kiss during maybe it is during benny hana christmas where um no, no, no. Maybe it's a regular Christmas party. It was the yeah, it was season two Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly drunkenly kisses Dwight in the kind of break room kitchen area. Angela sees it, and that's when she goes outside to smash ornaments with her tiny little feet. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Dwight does kind of have a thing for Indian culture. But you're right. He shows up, and he's he's got the pants. He's got the shirt. He's got no shoes. He gets the music. He's already dancing and shiz. Yeah. Yeah, and... An interesting thing here is Roy actually shows up, but like Pam's like dancing with this Indian dude, and he just like leaves. Yeah, um, so you know, I, it's kind. Of, I didn't get. I don't get why he left. To be honest, well, I think it's because she's dancing with that doctor guy, and obviously he doesn't know he's a doctor. I don't think that's important. That's just a frame of reference for everybody. But I think he sees it, and I guess he's kind of embarrassed to try to like encroach or maybe he'll feel like a stalker kind of thing you know because it wasn't clear if he was going to come or not so for him to show up and she's having such a good time like maybe he'll feel like the odd man out or something right and part of me also wondered if um this is what pam thought might happen it's like something with roy oh you think i don't know like it's really it's really unclear what she's hoping for, but I know in the end she does end up texting Jim, but he's already passed out. Right. Yeah. I got to say, I think um, it's not until after Benny Hanna Christmas <clears throat> where um, Pam is probably even teasing the idea of like hanging out with Roy at all. Right. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I think she just feels pretty good about, like, kind of being on her own. So I think it's when she realizes that Jim's with someone where she's kind of, like, open again to, like, Roy being that dude. Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> um, then they share that hug in Benny on a Christmas, too, where Roy gives her this gift, whatever it is. And she likes it. So it's kind mm-hmm. of Roy being on the up and up again. Right. Uh, let's see. And we go back to Stanford, and they're getting plastered on Jaeger. And he, I mean, he's got three bottles of booze. Yeah. He's got Jaeger, vodka, and some other brown liquid that I couldn't uh, figure out by the bottle. But, oh, And they're supposed to go to work the next day. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah. At least it makes at least it seems like they're supposed to go to work the next day. Maybe it's a Friday and you know Andy's just gonna sleep at the office until the morning and Yeah, no, we, it's it's a, it seems like a bad choice considering how crunk they got. You gotta give Andy credit. At least he yeah. uh, had the, the forethought to uh, bring a bring an air mattress so he wouldn't have to drive home. Yep, yep. <laughs> I wonder, like, corporately speaking, if there's rules against that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> would you get in trouble for sleeping at at the office? Yeah, I feel like. I mean, that's why I think it's weird that. I mean, I guess they're trusting Jim as the number two to kind of keep that order. That's why I'm surprised Josh doesn't hang out also to make sure like everything stays on the up and up. Um, but yeah, it's got to be a definite no-no. If we're going to continue to talk about fireball offenses, I think getting wasted in your office and then well, crashing into the outside shrubbery in your bike <laughs> is going to get up there. At, right. That's at the very least a write-up. Well, no, I mean, crashing in the outside shrubbery, that could just be an accident. But no, you should never get sloshed at work. Right. <laughs> especially i mean most most places have a a no drinking like even at lunch kind of policy right especially if they have a warehouse component uh you know that 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 way they have one set of rules and they don't have to like say well if you're an office person or if you work here and here and here you can drink and they just it's a way to simplify things yeah, I mean, my office doesn't even have alcohol during, like, holiday parties. It's terrible. It's very much needed. My workspace is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but it's a liability issue, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. It's stupid. Okay, so um, so the office crew finds themselves at the festival. We've talked about the funny outfit. Now, um, there's – so do we already know at this point that Kelly has lost a sister? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, okay, great. So yes. we find so we meet the other three sisters of Kelly's who are picking on Ryan for who knows what, but something about Zach Braff. Yeah, I, I if if anyone can speak uh, Hindi, please. Um <laughs> uh, according to the office.wikia.com, it says here it's quote Kelly likes Zach Braff. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> and Ryan's just like I heard Zach Braff. Yeah. Um Ryan has a good conversation with Kelly's parents about um, him being promoted to a more competitive position, and he is saving money, but not for a house or a family, but to travel and for an Xbox, which is awesome. And I love how our parents are like, "Did you? Uh, is there anything you want to ask us today?" He's like, "Yeah, nope." Yeah, he's like, "Oh snap." Um, Michael also has an interesting conversation with Kelly's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, he's just kind of learning about what their relationship entails and how they were married after only meeting each other one time. He inaccurately accuses them of having a relationship where if he dies, she has to throw herself on a, on a fire. fire. Yeah. Well, he asks, he doesn't accuse. He, does he asks, ask. like, is That's this one true. of those things where like, <laughs> but he seems pretty confident before <laughs> he asks that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So, you know, that conversation and how they kind of like each other or love each other moving forward after only meeting each other one time kind of inspires Michael to take a leap and do something crazy. Um, so he, 
he takes the DJ's microphone, stops the music, talks about learning much about love, yada yada, mm-hmm. and proposes to Carol. Which is terrible. It's a terrible move. Just terrible. Yeah. Um, Carol asks to speak in private. Michael kind of knows what's up. And then we join them outside as she's leaving. Hey, she just, she straight leaves them too. She's like, you can find a way home. Yeah. Like yeah. She's just done with them. Yeah. Um, she's like, it's only been our ninth date. <laughs> um, yeah. It uh, doesn't work out well for him. He does try to save it by saying he's got the Kama Sutra. Right. Doesn't work. <laughs> and then in a really... So he's outside sad. In the meantime, Pam is doing this weird cell phone thing that you mentioned before. I don't know. Did she text? She did text Jim at the very least because his phone rings while he's passed out at his desk. Right. So we don't know. I'm surprised that didn't come up. Like, yeah, because you would think when he gets sober, he's going to read those texts and probably text her back or call her or something. Right. Yeah, I wonder if it's a thing where. He wakes up in the morning, sees it, him not being drunk, and then her not being in that weird space she was in. Because I'll say during college, I've had some very weird, sad moments, and I don't drink. So these moments are just very sad. Where I'm with a lot of people, and you're seeing couples and stuff, and you kind of get spurred on to like reach out to someone you probably shouldn't. And then when they get back to you a day or two later, like you're not in that mind frame anymore. So you're able to shift that conversation back into something that's just like friendly chit-chat. So I wonder if he gets back to her in a day or two and she's not in that zone anymore. So the conversation kind of just dies. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it's just totally speculatory because, like you said, it's never brought up again. Things they should should have done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Angela's outside guarding the shoes. Right. Um, she's a big old racist. And you have this really great uh, scene with Michael and Pam. They're talking out on the steps, and like Michael tries to kiss Pam. She's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Uh, he's like, what are you doing?" I was like, "I'm rejecting your kiss." Yeah, I mean, it came out of nowhere. I gotta say, I don't fully understand why it happens either. I think again, it's because Michael's kind of in this zone. So like, Pam texting Jim about who knows what. Michael is also feeling like this lack of human, whatever. And that's why he does this thing to Pam. Uh, it's pretty terrible. It's kind of skeevy. <laughs> um, I was liking Michael for many an episode up until he starts trying to mack it to Pam in this way. <clears throat> yeah, it's not great. Um, so she says she can give him a ride home as long as he hangs out in the back seat. Um, and then he is forbidden to talk at some point, too, because... <laughs> so this is like that show Taxi Cab Confessions. If you say one more word, you're getting it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, it's weird. It happens. What are you going to do? Now, this is, since you don't drink, this is this is some good information for you. Like, So they ate sushi for, yes. for dinner. If you're going to be drinking heavy, there uh-huh. is nothing worse to eat than sushi. Really? Just Oh, yeah, especially if you think you might get to the like, sick point. <laughs> sushi on the return trip is the absolute worst. And I'll put that on top oh. of being drunk. Oh, Oh, it's oh, it's terrible. I I did that once and never again. Yeah, I didn't think about the return trip. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, I mean, they they kill. I mean, Grant, the bottle was only like three quarters full, but it was a big bottle of Jaeger, and they killed it. Right. 
So it's, I mean, you're you're looking at probably like eight or ten shots at least of Jaeger. Yeah. Oh. 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 That'll. In, yeah. in what what I assume would be a fairly short period of time, you know, four or five hours at right. most. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I did not envy them watching it. And based on your description, I don't envy them in actuality. <laughs> because it seems like it wasn't that late when they get done. Because yeah, Pam it's was because... still at the Diwali festival when she was texting him and Jim was already passed out. Right, right. Yeah, maybe it's like a eight-ish, nine-ish. Yeah, we're not we're not in like ten, eleven o'clock area. But so, so yeah, I for mean, a they're probably pacing for like twenty minutes, twenty to thirty minutes a shot, kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's that's <laughs> a bad idea. That's a bad idea, Jim. So what ends up happening is uh, Karen's totally fine. They're all done. She's about to walk out. Um, Jim, we didn't talk about this at all, but Jim is riding his bike because Josh rides his bike. The big difference here, though, is Jim's bike is a little bike with a basket. He bikes in his full work attire. Um, Josh has, like, a multi-speed mountain bike. He's tricked out in his, like, biking clothes, so he's aerodynamic. You know, he probably changes so he's not sweating into it and all that. So Jim is not as prepared. Not only that, he shows up to work on the day he's going to get drunk as balls. Well, he um, probably didn't know he was going to get drunk as well. Well, that's true. He knew he was going to stay late, but yeah, he probably didn't know he was about to party. Um, so uh, I almost called him Ed for Ed Helms, <laughs> but Andy doesn't give Jim a ride because he has an inflatable mattress because he knows how drunk he is. Um, so he's going to stay. Jim unsuccessfully tries to ride away before crashing into the bushes just outside the front door. Karen saves the day by loading the – no, she keeps the bike in the bike lock area puts Jim in the back seat and says, don't throw up. See, like I, I, I had to wonder this and part of me is like, do you think, think Karen got a little handsy with Jim? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, it's, I don't know. I think there's not a lot of occasions where characters aside from like maybe Phyllis and then Holly and Michael where people are like overtly, sexual um like there's like a really weird bit way later on once jim and pam are together where they're like looking for a place in the office to do it you know and it's like the first time that either of them talk in a way that like indicates to us that oh yeah like they have sex with each other (laughs) Um, and then robert california shows up and that's all he talks about right yeah so i feel like um even together when Karen and Jim are dating, it's like they never really talk like they're dating, you know? It's flirtatious, and they have, like, the couple's arguments or whatever, but they're never, like, making out, and they're never talking, like, big-picture stuff, or, you know, Karen never looks over, like, um, Amy Adams' character and says, you think that'll ever be us or anything like that, you know? Right. So I feel like she did not grope Jim while he was passed out. That's going to be my... It's possible and it's up for interpretation, but that's what I'm going to walk away saying. I think uh, she probably did not rub her junk on his face while he was sleeping. <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, because like it's it's too... 
it's too nice for Jim to think that he gets to get drunk, pass out, and then a super hot lady will go tugging on his junk, right? <laughs> In this situation, we'd have to feel like if Karen would be the predator, then she would want to be fulfilled. She doesn't really care about Jim, so she's probably going to, like, Well, sit maybe somewhere. she just want, wanted the cuddles, you know? Like... Well, that's true, too, but then, I mean, she doesn't seem like a cuddler. She seems like a no-nonsense kind of lady. She seems like someone who gets two beds. You know, you sleep in that bed, I'll sleep in my bed. Then we've got a sex bed in the other room. <laughs> okay. That devolved quickly. It did. Um, okay, so Carol leaves. Michael ends up at home. Everybody's sad. Everybody's drunk. Nobody happy. Nobody's happy by the end of the episode. Except for Karen. Except for Karen, she, uh, she, I mean, doesn't she end up say like he's kind of cute or something? Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's one of these episodes where she does kind of make a comment about like how, you know, it's cool. <laughs> um, but the episode ends with Michael and Dwight doing a rendition of uh, Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, right. but about the Wally. It's not bad, not terrible. It's not bad. It was funny, and you see Dwight playing the gu- guitar. Yeah, and that's like that's back to back. Dwight singing there, or no, it's not. It's yeah, grief counseling. He did the recorder, then Diwali. He did the guitar. So. Right. Very musical season for Rain Wilson. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it for this episode. I mean, anything else that we might have missed? Um, no. Um, no, I think we've pretty much hit everything. Yeah, I mean, the the focal point for this episode in terms of like season three plot progress is definitely. Michael and Carol, um, Jim and Pam, and then Jim and Karen. That's kind of like the right. Because this yeah. sort of sets up the uh, the breakup. Yeah, right. Uh, which actually is going to be part of our next episode. Well, we need to look at the schedule. Yeah. Well, I it, think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because we're gonna have some weird stuff coming up soon. Right. Because this is. Um, See. Oh yeah, and shout out to Reddit who said my keyboard's too loud. My bad. <laughs> it's fine. You're like, uh, keyboard's right, but so yeah, but hopefully next episode. Well, before we get into that, what are you gonna rate this episode? So I'm gonna give this episode a three point one two out of five. S'mores. S'mores. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's funny. There's some sad parts, but it's it's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I had pretty much the same idea. Uh, I gave it a three out of five slutty cheerleaders. Nice. Uh, depending on no. how the schedule works out, next week, or next week, next time, we'll be doing Branch Closing, The Merger, The Convict, and I believe Benny Hanna Benny Christmas. All of Benny Hanna Christmas. Yeah, according to our Google Sheets here, it is all four. Okay. We actually continue to do four episodes until (laughs) until December. Yeah, for the job and fun run. So end of season three, beginning of season four. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, I mean... What else do I have to say? I mean, I, I we we do appreciate all the feedback we get from Reddit and um, all the other places that people reach out. People send us some emails sometimes. Um, you know, obviously we super enjoy talking about 
the office and we'll continue to talk about it how we talk about it but if anybody's listening and they've got you know specific talking points they want us to hit or little bits that we want us to do that are reoccurring i mean it's hard right because everybody has a favorite quote from an episode because mm-hmm. every other line is like a quote you can walk away from and being like that's a funny joke and i'm going to say that at another time that it might be applicable so we can't say that because I mean, as it is, the show's almost two hours. An episode airs for like 22, 23 minutes, which means we almost spend half an hour talking about a 23-minute episode, you know? <laughs> so, but, you know, feedback's always welcome and appreciated, and it's awesome to know that so many people are listening. And you can send that feedback to brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on Reddit, on Twitter. Uh, yeah, we're easy to find, so just let us know. Yeah, and, I, and I've been trying to do this on some of the other things i do but uh just a friendly reminder to rate and review us wherever you listen because those ratings and those reviews boost us up and let more people find us and then uh, yeah yeah and we're on youtube and all the other cool stuff so yeah if you want to see how cool jacob and i look all the time (laughs) all right well whenever you're listening i hope you're having a good day or evening or morning or whatever yep and uh yeah, that's it from us here at Great 